Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is S.B. Divya. She is the Hugo and Nebula nominated author of Runtime and is the co-editor of Escape Pod with Mayor Lafferty. Her new novel is Machinehood, which is published by our friends at Saga Press. SB, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It is an honor to have you on. And before we dive into your excellent new novel, Machinehood, I want to ask you about Escape Pod. Mira Lafferty is local to us here at Quill Ridge Books. We had her on a panel at the North Carolina Book Festival last year with John Kessel and Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, it was a very good time. Can you tell our listeners who are not familiar what Escape Pod is and the nature of the work that you do with Mira Lafferty? Yeah, Escape Pod is a weekly science fiction podcast. Every week we bring you a short story, sometimes a slightly longer one over a couple of episodes. And it's been going for 15 years, hmm. which is pretty incredible. It, it was the original science fiction podcast back in the uh, Wild West days of podcasting before it became popular. And I joined Escape Pod staff in 2015 as a submissions reader and uh, inadvertently worked my way up the chain. And I'm now the co-editor along with Mer Lafferty. And I have been co-editing Escape Pod since 2017. And it is a joy and also very educational because I'm also a writer. I've seen both sides of the desk as editor publisher and uh, author. And um, yeah, it's a great joy to be able to bring stories and discover new authors and share science fiction with the world. Well, thank you, SB. Uh, one more general question before we get to Machinehood. Saga Press is relatively new. It was very new when I spoke with John Kessel on this show two years ago about his award winning story turned novel pride and prometheus uh everything saga press is putting out is stellar your novel machinehood included can you tell us about saga press and how you connected with them yeah i've um i've connected with them in a few different places probably most closely a couple of years ago at comic-con uh, in san diego uh, but I've also known Nava Wolf. Uh, I think I first met her at the Nebula conference in Chicago like five years ago uh, when I was still a shiny new writer, did not even have a book drafted on my hard drive at that point. Um, and I just love their aesthetic, I guess, and ethos of what they're trying to do, uh, the, the types of books they've put out, the diversity in their authors, and also the, the content. Um, one of my favorite authors, Cameron Hurley, is um, part of their roster, as well as I absolutely loved um, the novella that Nava put out, uh, actually two of them from a couple years ago. One was The Deep by River Solomon, which is based off a song by Clipping who are just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and the other is uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Mukhtar and Max Gladstone. So I was very uh, delighted when they decided to pick up Machinehood, absolutely. 
I bet, yeah. And we had the authors of This Is How You Lose a Time War on um, a few months ago, and I think that one won every award it was nominated for. Um, I was very happy for them. Okay, let's dive into Machinehood. This novel opens with an excerpt from the Machinehood Manifesto, which states, and I quote, number 30, all forms of intelligence have the right to exist without persecution or slavery. Number 31, no form of intelligence may own another. And number 32, if the local governance does not act in accordance with these rights, it is the right of an intelligence to act by any means necessary to secure them. End quote. SB, first for our listeners, please tell us who are the machinehood and second, what is the conflict that this excerpt from the Machinehood Manifesto is both speaking towards and setting up? So Machinehood is fundamentally about a shadowy organization that appears in the year 2095, demanding that human beings who at that time are heavily reliant on AIs, robots, and a form of smart drugs that enhances their bodies cybernetically to work and live and compete with these machines um, demands that they stop relying on these technologies and that the intelligent machines are provided the rights of personhood. And the reason I wanted to explore sort of all of these intersections was I felt like a lot of AI and robot stories, especially in pop culture and film, always kind of present this two-sided uh, view of either AIs as horribly evil who want to get rid of the human beings or perhaps horribly oppressed and who want to get rid of the human beings. So they're either all good or all bad. And they're never really treated like um, people both in a in a legal sense but also in a moral sense and then i wanted to dive a little bit deeper uh, into eastern philosophies and really think about the continuum of intelligence so rather than it being simply human beings are exceptional and special and everything else is in a different class and then machines are in you know yet a third class that what if as we have turned the lens on things like gender and um, you know, neurotypicality, that all of these things are on a spectrum, what if we also see intelligence being on a spectrum? And what then changes in terms of how we interact with our fellow intelligent beings on this planet, whether they are living or non-living? And so that's, uh, that's what the, the book is thematically fundamentally about. And the fun part is, of course, this shadowy machinehood organization is is making threats and creating violence, and someone's got to stop them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Our protagonist in this first chapter, uh, Velga, is immediately worried as she goes about ordering a coffee about her fan base. We soon find out that everyone is on camera all of the time being streamed to anyone who may choose to watch them and being tipped if their audience likes whatever it is they are doing. Uh, this reaches into all areas of life in this novel. Uh, one is streamed while 
doing one's job, pseudo-military operations are streamed, sex is streamed. Uh, tell us about this aspect of the world you have created in machinehood, and maybe tell us what sort of philosophical issues it presents for the society within. So there were several aspects of today I decided to take and run with and expand and extend in the world of machinehood. And one of them is what's happening with social media and the erosion of privacy and the fact that a lot of people are willing to hand over any thoughts of privacy in order to be available to their friends, to their family, but also complete strangers. And so I put that together with um, the idea of drones and drone swarms and the fact that electronics tends to get miniaturized and cheaper over time and thought, well, what if you had drone cameras and swarms everywhere all the time, especially in public spaces, then our lives would be entirely on camera 100% of the time. And it's interesting because I think the first thing people would think when they when they hear that is dystopia, right? Like, I don't want to be on camera and available to the world all the time. But as we have seen with technology today with body cameras, when we use that to increase government transparency, to increase uh, you know law enforcement transparency, if that kind of loss of privacy and open information becomes a two-way street, it can actually help people, um, help democracies, help reduce crime. So that was kind of the 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 two sides I wanted to. Uh, explore in this novel and also from a military standpoint and also from a law enforcement standpoint it gets interesting because it's much harder to keep secrets in that kind of world and you'd have to work a lot harder to you know get rid of these micro drone cameras that are everywhere in order to have any kind of um, state secrets or uh, classified information and so the way the government would conduct its own espionage and that whole field would have to really adapt and change to these times. Right, thank you so much. And continuing along this line of discussion, um, an aspect of this angle of the story is that everyone is performing all of the time. Uh, when Welga is sent to protect someone, for example, she feels like she needs to allow herself to be hurt a little, to add drama to the goings-on and make herself more sympathetic in order to garner more tips. Uh, SB, when everything is a performance, how is anyone, including the performers, to know what is real? That's a really good philosophical question, and I think it comes back to this core idea of not everything is a binary. And so when that line blurs between your authentic self and your performative self, today that tends to be a more solid line, but in this future, and I think even in our very near future, those lines are blurring, right? We are expected to be more authentic a lot of times, um, when we're interacting with the public than it used to be even a few decades ago. You know, you had your public face and you had your private face. And now those are expected to be one and the same many times. And I think 
that applies in this future as well in the sense that your performative self is your authentic self at that point you know that whatever gets you tips this is part of the way people make their living and so if they figure out that they have to do certain things in order to earn that money that's what they're going to do and and it at the end of the day that becomes their essence right and so what is their real self that is their real self at that point and there is no um i don't think there's a philosophical difference at that point in terms of who you are internally versus externally absolutely thank you so much sp listeners we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then i will be right back with sb divya the book and podcast is sponsored by libro fm audiobooks Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with S.B. Divya, author of Machinehood, which is published by our friends at Saga Press. Uh, before the break, SB, I was happy that you brought up dystopias. Um, I recently commented on a round of the Morning News Tournament of Books, which by the time this podcast airs will probably uh, be live out into the world. And we talked about dystopias there. What do you think after the year that we just lived through uh, the future of dystopian literature is? I have found a really interesting phenomenon, even with my own writing, which is that a lot of depictions of the near future are interpreted as dystopias by my reading audience and also the listening audience at Escape Pod sometimes, that I would consider simply a realistic and balanced presentation of what the future might be like. And I've heard not just in the last year with the pandemic, but even you know in the last several years with you know certain types of events in US politics and politics in other parts of the world, that people feel like we are living through dystopia right now, which to me kind of begs the question of what even does dystopia mean at that point? You know, if, if you're living through it, I think it's not a dystopia, it's just a reality that is not particularly pleasant or has aspects that you really dislike. For me, a truly dystopian story should be one that takes one of these potential negative ideas and takes it to a very extreme. And most stories, including the ones that I like to write and read, I think are not that extreme. Uh, and at that point, it's not really a dystopia. I mean, the pandemic has been absolutely terrible. We just hit, you know, half a million 
lives lost in the US from this. And it is a devastating tragedy of epic proportions. But at the same time, we have had the most widespread and rapid scientific collaboration in order to study this virus and come up with the vaccine in the history of biochemists and molecular biologists that I've talked to. So on the one hand, perhaps it seems like a dystopia just because, especially in, in this country, we didn't handle it particularly well. But on the other hand, uh, it also shows you how much progress we've made in, in other aspects of our society. And, you know, I won't say good things can come of it, but that sort of open collaboration in the scientific community, you know, I would love to see that continue and I'm sure they would too. So from that Absolutely. standpoint, yeah, uh, um, I think reality, reality is reality <laughs> and sometimes reality bites. Um, but yes. Great. Thank you, SB. Um, speaking of scientific collaboration, um, an interesting aspect of this novel is how pills and the manufacturing of pills are treated. People have to take pills if they want to keep up uh, anywhere close to the production level of machines. What are these pills and how did their manufacturing progress from being something that people did for themselves into big business? So I got this idea of pills uh, reading about these micro machines that laboratories and researchers are developing today where they send them into your body via a gel capsule and um, like one of the ones that I found really fascinating is they take uh, like a tiny robot and they basically fold it up into an origami type shape so that it can self unfold and they stick it in a capsule, you swallow it, your stomach acid dissolves the capsule as it does, the little robot unfolds and then it can go and like remove something that's obstructing you know, uh, part of your intestine or take a biopsy sample from your stomach lining. And I kind of carried this idea forward to rather than our traditional conception of the cyborg, which is, you know, this big mechanical interface that our bodies are attached to, what if everything is tiny and internal? And, you know, rather than having drugs that interface to our biochemistry, we have tiny machines that go in and help enhance our, um, our neuromuscular interfaces, our brain, if it's small enough uh, to cross the blood brain barrier. And I made it a pill in part because capitalism. Um, Anyone who develops this kind of technology is going to want to make money off of it. And what better way than to give you something that your body will naturally dispose of after a certain amount of time. So you have to keep renewing it. Right. And, uh, and then I had fun with the idea of what if biotechnology goes the way of the computer in the sense of right now it's centralized, highly specialized knowledge, uh, in the hands of a few large companies but one day, maybe a few decades from now, it's something that you can do in your garage or your living room with the right knowledge base, at which point everybody gets to play in the space of 
designing these micro machines or designing um, genetic uh, therapies or editing. And, and then from there, the manufacturing also can be done, you know, at home. So you can print pills in your kitchen. And I will say uh, to your listeners that one of the things I put in this story was, as I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, once you put this technology in the hands of everyone, there's going to inevitably be some hackers, right? Some bad actors who are going to start putting out uh, biohacked pills that are bad for you or genetically engineered viruses and other pathogens. And so in my history of the book that doesn't make it into the actual story, there's a few decades of widespread pandemics that come back to back in part because of this until people figure out how to equally rapidly respond to them. So the other type of pills people take on the daily are the latest, um, you know, antidotes to these diseases. And it was very interesting doing some of the copy edits for the Machinehood manuscript last year in the middle of an actual pandemic, like watching this all go down, um, sometimes a little disconcerting when whenever you write near future science fiction, then some of it accidentally comes true. Absolutely. Thank you. Do you feel like this is a world we are heading towards with the manufacturing um, and blatant um, blatant dispersal of performance enhancing drugs for the regular workplace, especially here in the United States of America with the state of the economy, technology and big pharma? I don't know if we're absolutely heading towards it. I think some of it will depend on this idea of if biochemistry and genetic engineering does become the sort of thing that um, is more widespread in terms of people being able to harness that particular technology. Without that, I think as long as drugs are centrally controlled, both in terms of their research and manufacture, I think we're less likely to head into a future where people are taking performance enhancing drugs um, just for their regular lives. I suspect it's more likely if it becomes widespread, because at that point, it's a more integral part of the economy and, you know, people's daily lives and work. So there's going to be more pressure to produce and make money off of those things than there is today. And, and there's already a lot of pressure today, admittedly, but that pressure comes from a, a small number of, you know, large companies versus a significant, let's say, 30 or 40 percent of the population that's, you know, working in that particular industry. Absolutely. Thank you, SB. Um, my next question is about uh, some of the logistics in this novel machine hood. Can you tell our listeners what is the difference between a Y, listeners, that is spelled W-A-I, and a SAI, S-A-I, and how are they integrated into the society of this novel machinehood? So I came up with these acronyms um, to, in part to uh, reflect on what we have today. There's a conception in artificial intelligence called uh, weak artificial intelligence, and the opposite used to be strong artificial intelligence. Uh, that latter term has fallen out of favor for um, 
artificial general intelligence today, um, but you know acronyms keep changing. So I decided to go for sentient artificial intelligence uh, in machinehood. But the why, the weak artificial intelligence, even in the concept of this story 75 years from now, is a bit different from what we're talking about today in that it's more sophisticated than what we have today. But at the end of the day, it is still a piece of software and mathematics. So it's it's an extension of AI as most businesses use it um, right now, which is, you know, statistical pattern recognition and inference and decision logic. It is not conscious, it is not sentient in the way we think of ourselves or other animals on this planet. And to me, the the opposite of that, even more than artificial general intelligence, which in the business community and in the engineering community today is an extension of the systems that we have in place. It's not something that's conscious or sentient. So the opposite to me, especially the, the goal of many people is sentient artificial intelligence or the psi. And that is something that as of 2095, I decided does not yet really exist. But I do wonder, um, especially as someone who works in the field and has probably spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about what consciousness and sentience really means, it's something that we haven't even been able to model or quantify yet. So how do we even get there in terms of putting it into software and hardware? And how do we decide when we get there? You know, it used to be the Turing test, but we have a lot of fairly sophisticated AI systems today that can pass, you know, limited versions of the Turing test. And I suspect that we'll pass it for real in the next decade or two. Does that mean that that AI is now, you know, a, a person? Is it sentient? Is it conscious? We'll probably, my suspicion is we'll still say no because it's based on a machine and we're inherently biased against that. Um, I don't know when we'll get to the stage where we'll be willing to acknowledge that an intelligent machine is sufficiently intelligent and self-aware that it truly deserves the term AI or SAI. Right. Thank you so much. And finally, to continue along those lines and to bring our conversation full circle, uh, there are people in this novel who are advocates for machine rights. Uh, what do these machine rights advocates hope to accomplish and what do they have to gain in their fight for machine equality? My idea for the machine rights um, agitators or advocates in this novel was inspired partly by people who advocate for animals' rights today or environmental rights today, which is that what they have to gain is really, I suppose, uh, a sense of moral and ethical peace within themselves. I mean, they're doing it for the sake of what they consider to be righting a social wrong and to um, to have ethical and moral treatment of uh, things like animals and the environment in why not add in intelligent machines and yeah that really kind of ties into my previous answer of 
what happens if a certain segment of society decides that AI has reached that level of sentience and does deserve rights, whereas another segment says, no, we built these machines, we programmed them, therefore they are not deserving of any sort of personhood or individual liberties or protections. And so um, that is sort of that conflict. So the people who are, um, who are writing this manifesto, who are clamoring for machines to be, or at least intelligent machines to be treated as if they are people, they they are really doing it not out, not so much out of self interest but out of general interest and uh, a sense of a moral position. Absolutely, thank you, SB, and thank you for writing this wonderful, thought provoking novel. I have no doubt that we will be hearing much more about machinehood as we move through twenty twenty one and into twenty. 22 and probably even into 2095. Uh, listeners, I have been speaking with S.B. Divya, author of Machinehood, which is published by our friends at Saga Press. S.B., thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. This was great. Once again, I would like to thank S.B. Divya for joining me. Copies of Machinehood can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.